Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome. It's uh, Wednesday, October 6th. Summer-like day in October. Uh, I have mentioned more than once that uh, over the course of maybe the last four or five years, I feel like I've learned more about history, uh, particularly American history, uh, than I had. And it has not always been comfortable uh, history to learn, but it is certainly preferable to living in a fairy tale. And this morning, I happened to wake up ludicrously early this morning, and um, I started to read. And I read a fascinating account about Haiti. And Haiti is, is again, some, a place that I have always said is quite clearly has been abandoned by God. <laughs> if, if you believe in a, a God, why this one little island nation would be so beset and besieged throughout its history. And when I talk about the nation, I'm talking about the poor souls who are born to it. And it has been ever thus for centuries and centuries and centuries. And then when it is not man-made hell, it is Mother Nature's wrath that is visited upon Haiti. Earthquakes, hurricanes, famine, disease. And most recently, of course, those horrifying pictures of desperate Haitians trying to get to safety, to a potential for a future uh, here in the United States, a neighboring country, pretty much, and how mistreated they were. Um, and it turns out that the history of America and Haiti is not one that gives us any reason at any point for congratulations, self-congratulations. It is sobering. And I want to, I just want to share some of this with you. So when you, you know, we read about stuff, we see what's happening currently, and we so often fail to acknowledge the history that 
certainly created or helped to create the reality of our current time. So I'm some of this you guys already know. I learned some of this from my son who who knew about it. I had not realized that Haiti uh, was an amazing story of the first black self-governing nation that had staged a successful slave revolt and taken its country back. Um, the slaves, this is a French colony. It was um, probably for France, it was the uh, crown jewel of their empire because of the money, the money that was created there, which of course did not stay in Haiti. No, the French got rich off the backs of African slaves that they had brought over to produce sugar and coffee and other cash crops that they sold all over the world. And then strangely, both the United States and France had these revolutions around the same time, right? United States first established itself, pulled away from its overlords in Britain and established a country. But unlike the Haitian slaves, these were slave owners themselves who established the United States of America. And then the French with their revolution and the French Revolution became very real to the slaves in Haiti. They knew of it and in part were inspired by it. It is astonishing and I want to learn more of how a slave revolt actually succeeded. What a story that must be. because the French slaveholders were sent running for their lives back to France. And even subsequent efforts to retake and re-enslave them, Haiti maintained its freedom and it became the first nation on earth to permanently ban slavery. But you see, uh, a nation created by slaves, former slaves, was a threat, a big threat 
To whom? Well, to the other nations of the world that liked free labor. The United States, for one. Thomas Jefferson was the president of the United States when Haiti became its own nation. And he worked mightily to isolate this new nation and to strangle it economically. Sort of what we did to Cuba as well. The obvious concern was that a Haiti that was now governed by former slaves would uh, inspire American slaves to attempt the same. So the success of these Haitian slaves was perceived as a threat to the world order that existed at the time. And in fact, the United States refused to acknowledge Haiti's uh, existence until we were ourselves fighting a civil war. But France was worse. France was humiliated. France was enraged. And in 1825, the French king sent an armed armada to Haiti. And they came with a message. You either pay us reparations for what you have taken from us, or we're going to come on in. And the Haitians, knowing they couldn't defeat this huge armada, I guess, agreed to pay their former tormentors and slave owners the equivalent of 20, 25 billion dollars in reparation. The amount of money that the French demanded of the Haitians was 10 times the amount the United States had paid France for the whole damn Louisiana purchase. Which at the time doubled the size of the United States. They demanded of these former slaves 10 times that amount. And of course, and this was a a deal made at gunpoint, literally. Because the Haitians wanted to maintain and retain their independence. They couldn't pay that. So they agreed that it would be paid over time. And guess what? 
They took out loans. From whom? French banks. A French economist uh, last year started crunching numbers. And he decided that, in fact, the French government owed, owed Haiti minimally $28 billion. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. But the idea, who could imagine that these former slaves ended up and are still feeling that loss of money ended up paying reparations to the slave owners. They ended up having their nation never be able to crawl out of this financial hole. And believe me, the United States played a big part in this as well. Helping the French get the money. And it reminds me sort of how the the impact of slavery, once it is gotten rid of, once the slaves won in Haiti, you think, well, there. But obviously they failed to create the country. I wonder what that means. Look at that country. It's a mess. They had the entire world against them. Pressuring them at gunpoint to give up money they didn't even have. My God. My God. Again, the more we learn, the more appalling it is our history. Our fingerprints are all over 80s stunted development. From the time we work to isolate their new country, newly independent country, when Thomas Jefferson was the president. And then we actually violently occupied Haiti. In the 20th century, we were there for almost 20 years. We didn't leave until 1934, but we continued to control their money. Did you know that? And and we siphoned away 
around 40% of that little nation's national income. Why? Well, we were aiding and servicing debt repayments to France and to the United States that also, I guess, had lent these newly freed slaves the money to pay their tormentors reparations. God, you can't make this up. <coughs> it's been called what France did here. The greatest heist in history. A young, poor nation surrounded by French gunboats forced to pay its slaveholders reparations. So these Haitians were forced to compensate their oppressors and their oppressors' children and their children and their children and their children and all for the privilege of being free. They paid it. They paid it off. Took them over a century. Yeah. Yeah, a century that they could have been building a viable nation. History. Wow. It's a, a stunning thing. Actually, a brings me to a something I saw on Twitter also uh, this morning that I thought was just brilliantly put. When somebody figures out how to boil some in you know insane conspiracy theory craziness going on down to a little well I guess a meme almost. It's not really a meme. But somebody posted a picture that I know you've seen before. It's a black and white photo. I forget her name. This extraordinarily brave young girl holding books, her books, and walking into a school in the South in 1957, a black girl amidst a sea of contorted, screaming white people. You don't need any imagination to figure what they might have been screaming at her. But this is a picture from America's history, and it speaks to 
the racism that is this nation's sin, a sin that so many still refuse to come to terms with. And so somebody put down this. They printed that picture and said, this picture is the critical race theory. You know, people say, well, the critical race theory, critical race theory. And you ask, what is, do you think the critical race theory is? This terrible thing that so many Americans now are willing to terrorize school boards about. Critical race theory. This picture is critical race theory, and it shows the debate on it in a nutshell. There is, yeah, there's white America freaking out that a black child is going to be educated alongside their children. And the takeaway is this. So the folks who tried to prevent a black girl from going to school in 1957 are now the folks opposed to their grandchildren learning about how they tried to prevent a black girl from going to school in 1957. They do not, and school boards are, schools are banning the teaching of anything having to do with race. So you cannot teach a child in some parts of America now that this happened. You can't show them this picture. And it's because it's the same happening again. It's the same white racists freaking out about reality, whether it is history or whether it is current events. And their inability to deal with reality has dogged this nation since its inception and continues to do so today in a way that could now take down our very democracy. All those people trying to stop critical race theory. Yeah, we know them. We've seen them throughout our history. I was a young girl in 1957. And I know my parents were appalled by these people, but they're still with us. Every single one of them. They taught their children to hate. And those children taught their children to hate. Generation after generation not only to hate, but to refuse to learn. It's unbelievable. 
Meanwhile, you see, well, <clears throat> sounds like my voice is hot. sounded like a 14 year old boy whose voice. That must be awful. It doesn't happen to girls when a boy uh, starts heading into puberty and their voices change and they undergo those, you know, those sometimes what, what, I don't know, what are they called when your voice does a weird thing because it's changing and it's, you know, timber. Uh, that's something that there aren't many things that, you know, girls don't end up with the short end of the stick, but at least girls don't go through that, which is not that big a deal, but could certainly lead to embarrassing, embarrassing personal moments, right? But what I was attempting to say is that uh, the Justice Department under Merrick Garland has, as you know, probably informed the FBI to get to work to get to work specifically looking into these white racists and the threat that they are posing to teachers, school boards, to principals, to public education. And it's not just the critical race theory part, it's the anti-vaxxer thing as well <clears throat> that is going on. Oh my. We are so beset by awful people, <laughs> just the worst, I'm sorry, the worst. Mm. I want you to know that tomorrow I have a guest. And we won't be talking about the bell. No, we won't be talking about this. Um, <laughs> this is this is a guy I've had on once a year for I don't know how many years, six, seven. And uh, he's a writer. And every time he gets a new book out, we talk because first of all. I enjoy the books, although they're not my genre. I, I mean, they're filled with murder and mayhem and horror. Uh, but he sets them here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I want to, we'll talk to him uh, tomorrow. He's just fun to talk to. He's the one who's, he's a shrink to the stars out in Hollywood. He was, he's a award-winning screenwriter. <clears throat> Interesting guy. And a Pittsburgher by, by birth. Um, just so you know, I mean, I'm not going to uh, appall you with this reality. Oh, here's something that's okay. Did you, did you see the stuff about it? It being fat bear week there. Um, there's a, uh, a contest uh, every year. Who knew? Uh, and it's it's held at uh, Katmai National Park. I don't know. Is that is that the United States or is that Canada? I don't know. And every year 
they ascertain, oh, it's in Alaska. I just saw that. There's an annual playoff like competition for which brown bear, and they, 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 they're known. Every bear has been tagged, they all have numbers. This for conservation purposes and 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 also just learning stuff about the bears. So every year, the, the this national park ascertains which brown bear managed to get the fattest of all the brown bears, and the the reason being, of course, that. Even with global warming, we're entering, uh, we're getting closer to winter, and bears, as you know, hibernate. And in hibernation, they lose an extraordinary amount of weight. So they've got to go into hibernation with a ton of weight on them that they can then use while they're hibernating. So they'll survive the winter. And I'm looking at a picture that is hard to believe because it's bear number 480. And this bear is, is, a, is named Otis. And Otis has won this thing time after time. He not, doesn't win every year, but he's one of the ones that, oh, my God, Otis did it again. Now, what's amazing for Otis is that they someone took a picture of him in, let me see, this picture was in July, end of July, and frankly, he looks like he's dying. He's standing in a stream. You can see his ribs. He doesn't look like a, you know, you would look at it, you'd think, is that a bear? It doesn't really look like a bear because bears you're used to seeing, you know, like girth. And this guy, Otis, you can see his ribs. He doesn't even look like a bear. He just looks like bones. That picture of him looking half dead was taken July 26th. And I'm looking at a picture taken just three, let me see, two months later. And he's huge. He's huge. His stomach is like dragging on the ground. It's the same bear. No wonder he won. Good God. He, and what they say about him is that he's really, he gained all this incredible amount of weight in seven weeks. Um, and as the article I read points out, you know, a, a fat bear is a successful bear because they've got to figure out how to get their highest weight at the right time before the winter sets in and there's no food. 
But one of the because people know these bears, they know how Otis pulled it off. And he did it unlike most bears. Obviously, you got to eat. So how is he able? They say he is the greatest salmon fisherman ever. Most bears, when they're looking for dinner and they're looking at the salmon, they swim after them, they grab at them, they 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 dash, they this and that. He never moves. He even sometimes looks like he's standing in the water, napping on his feet. But the reality is, he's listening, he's looking, and he grabs one salmon after another, never moving, except a bang, and eat it. Bang, and eat it. One of the park rangers who's watched Otis says, Otis is a master of energy economics. He uses his patience and experience to make a huge profit in calories while expending almost no energy. So since the contest, Fat Bear Week, champion contest was started and it's just been going on now for about eight years. Uh, Otis has won it three times and this is a comeback win for him because uh, I guess bear 747 is, uh, is extraordinary uh, too. Anyway, you can't imagine that in seven weeks' time, this guy went from something that looked like it was dead to this massive brown bear and the Flat Bear Week winner and once again champion, Otis. Oh, another funny thing. I had mentioned anti-bear. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place today. Uh, another funny thing, though, that I saw again on Twitter. I hope you watched that Facebook hearing yesterday. Wow. Pretty astonishing. Pretty amazing. Uh, I can't play this uh, video for you, but I'll tell you what happened. So it was a protest. This is someplace in uh, California. Yeah, it's on Hollywood Boulevard. And um, there's anti-vax people holding signs and displaying their stupidity. And there is um, one of them has a bullhorn. And the idiot with the bullhorn starts pointing out all the homeless people that are I guess, sitting on the sidewalk and wandering around in that neighborhood. And the anti-vaxxer, this genius, says, do you see all of these homeless people? Are they dead in the street with COVID? Ha! Hell no! And why is that? And this homeless guy is walking by, and he says, Because I'm vaccinated, you dumb fuck. 
I think the Andy Baxter thought the homeless guys weren't getting COVID, not that he knew, because, I don't know, they were smart enough not to take the vaccine. I don't know. I can't, I can't even, I can't do a dive, let alone a deep dive into the uh, stupidity. I can't. Just can't. Milton writes, the most ironic thing about the outrage of the anti-critical race theory movement is that once again, they are creating history (laughs) that they won't want their yet unborn children and grandchildren to learn 20 to 30 years hence. That's it. That's what they've been doing all the, I mean, trace it all the way back. They don't want real history taught because they don't want to be unmasked as the hateful bunch that they are and forever on the wrong side of history. If you're always on the wrong side of history, why the hell would you ever want it taught? Doesn't do you any favors, now does it? Yeah. And Milton says, just imagine in 20, 30 years, these same, same cohort in America will be saying, you can't show, you can't show those news clips of my grandfather terrorizing a school board meeting back in 2021. You can't do that because why you're teaching You're teaching white kids to hate themselves. And you can't do that. You know, how about doesn't occur to these people to stop being hateful? (laughs) If you don't want your grandchildren to know you are on the wrong side of history because you're a hateful white supremacist, then how about stop being a hateful white supremacist? That's, I know, that's a step too far. I know. Bob says, I don't know if you've heard about, yes, I did, the long overdue retirement of 700 Club founder, Oh, yeah. Pat Robertson. God, what a vile character. Um, Nah. We don't quote Mark Madden here. (laughs) Mark 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 Madden called him Billy Graham Light? No. Of course, I... Sorry. I have no love for Billy Graham either, let alone his horrific son. I got to tell you, these, yeah, they create, they create progeny that are, I guess, in some respects, do them proud. Oh, Bob's ahead of me here. And I know what you're thinking in terms of Pat Robertson. You're thinking the same thoughts you had about Billy Graham. 
If I can quote you, what? Is this a quote from me? Quote, when that old coot dies, don't expect me to join the chorus of national mourning. He's an anti-Semite and an SOB that did a lot of damage in his life. Well, I don't know. Is that a direct quote? It sounds like me. It sounds like something I would say, yes. Uh, but then Bob says, but in a way, the things Pat Robertson said and did in his life made the things Billy Graham said and did look like the work of Mother Teresa. Well, <laughs> and don't get me on Mother Teresa. <laughs> oh, God. We have such strange heroes. Hmm. My head hurts. Hey, did you see this? That you know the the twenty uh, twenty twenty two uh, election, which is a scary, scary thing looming in our future. The opportunity for the Republicans to take back the Congress. Um, and uh, if history is any guide, they will. That's what happens. Because Americans are too stupid to stop doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. But three of the candidates that they're banking on to get the Senate back are three men who have been accused of domestic and sexual violence. And the Republicans don't have a problem with that. I mean, look at Donald Trump. That's their leader. Uh, he's got a huge history, of course, of sexual violence. So in Missouri, they're probably going to put up their former governor, this despicable man who sexually assaulted a woman he was having an affair with and then blackmailed her with nude photos, right? Uh, I think, didn't that, didn't, wasn't he forced to, to step down? I mean, the, the cops were after him. And now he's the front runner for the, uh, for the Missouri, uh, Senate. Good God in heaven. And then there's Herschel Walker. Mm -hmm. You know the name. He was a Heisman Trophy winner, wasn't he? And uh, he's got Donald Trump's endorsement to take back the Republican Senate seat from Georgia. His wife, ex-wife, all these guys have ex-wives. His ex-wife claimed that he was physically abusive and threatened to murder her on more than one occasion. Now, the thing is, these guys don't, I mean, he acknowledges that. Uh Walker is a particularly weird case because I believe 
he one of his uh, one of his excuses is that he um, he had disassociative identity disorder, which is to say. He is saying that he suffered from having more than one identity, sort of like, you know, those movies that have been made about usually it's women who, you know, the three faces of Eve was at it. I mean, people who turn into different people. They've compartmentalized things so much that they literally have egos, alter egos and other alter egos, maybe totally different kinds of people that inhabit their body. and. Herschel Walker says he had that, but he says, turning to God and a therapist uh, have helped him integrate his multiple personalities. So now he's just one abhorrent human being who was a good, great football player. Uh, one abhorrent human being who Donald Trump, of course, thinks would make a grand Center. And then the third one they've gotten behind is right here in Pennsylvania, and that's our very own Sean Parnell. He's the leading Republican candidate to get Toomey's seat back. He's got Trump's endorsement as well. And his wife twice took out protection from abuse orders against him. Again, his ex-wife. And they've got some child custody thing playing out right now that is so ugly and so messy, you can't believe it. But you know what? The Republicans have no problem with these guys. I mean, none. For one thing, they're the ones that Trump wants, so they're scared to say anything. But even somebody like uh, Republican Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa, who herself suffered sexual abuse, was heard to say of Herschel Walker, yes, there is some baggage there, but he's addressed Wow. Republicans, fine, fine human beings, fine people. Okie doke. I'm going to pass this on to you because um, I thought it was, well, something we should all know. And uh, I don't know that everybody does know this, but it was printed in the Atlantic. And um, it's four things that this country is still just ridiculously getting wrong about the pandemic. Okay, we're. It's unbelievable. The first one is one that um, might be surprising. And it's the fact that overwhelmingly Americans are still, if they're masking, 
are wearing cloth masks. And the reality is cloth masks were just a supposed to be a stopgap. When the pandemic started, remember all the real masks, the N95 and the the masks that uh, doctors would be wearing and health professionals would be wearing, those had to be for them because they were going to be in the midst of this uh, virus. And so we were told cloth. But there are whole nations, most of Europe, that absolutely you don't see cloth masks. They long ago made higher quality masks available to their people. And one uh, science editor said, why are we still strapping pieces of cloth to our face? Well, uh, I don't know. My understanding is, is that some European country offered to send us some. And what other countries do is, you know, if we had a government that functioned anymore, They'd be sending households these good masks, but they're they're expensive. You can't find them, just like you can't find the at-home testing kits. The second thing we're getting wrong is not paying attention to the importance of ventilation. We need to totally rethink how we circulate indoor air. And and that actually goes beyond COVID-19 because stop and think about it. We, How many of you have water filters because I'm not drinking that tap water or you wouldn't ever drink water you knew to be contaminated but we have no problem constantly inhaling contaminated air. Ventilation is an incredibly important part of public health, and we don't do it. When we go to work, if you have to work, you often work in buildings with no ventilation, can't open a window. You're breathing the same air that was in there the day it was uh, built. It's nuts. And here's one that's surprising. Americans still have this idea that if we just vaccinate everybody, we'll be okay. And we're not going to vaccinate everybody, obviously. Some just won't. But we're clinging to an idea that vaccines are a cure-all. And here's what the scientists will tell you. That's asking too much. These vaccines were designed to prevent severe disease, not to block infections entirely. The notion that any vaccine is going to achieve perfect and permanent immunity is a a myth. 
It is a biological myth. So it's best to get it out of your head and understand. You know, we're all ta- you hear people talking about, well, he, he was vaccinated. It's a breakthrough case. Yeah, and there will be plenty of them. But the odds are huge that it will be survivable. That's the truth. And um, the other one is, well, we are still not in any way preparing for the next pandemic. Um, And the Atlantic writer says, if the Delta variant's arrival was a test, we flunked it. How can a country hope to stay 10 steps ahead of tomorrow's viruses when it can't even stay one step ahead of today's? So it's all sobering stuff, but take it to heart. Remember, as if you can, cloth masks, not so great. They're better than nothing but not anywhere near as as great as the real deal. And ventilation, extremely important. And then get real about vaccinations. These are tough times, guys. And speaking of air and ventilation, I'm sure you saw this. Pittsburgh ranks sixth worst in Pennsylvania for unhealthy air days. There were 57 days of pollution in our air so elevated that the healthy to breathe. 57 days, essentially two months. Two months out of 12, you would be advised not to breathe the air in Pittsburgh. The ones that finished even in a more abysmal place, Lancaster, Harrisburg, Reading, York, and Johnstown. But I understand why it's hard to believe when it's not visible like it used to be back in the day. But the fact that we are regularly in this city inhaling air that is injurious to us. Like I was saying, you wouldn't drink contaminated water. Why are we so willing to breathe contaminated air? You gotta breathe. And so every single one of us who's living here has a heightened risk for heart disease, respiratory disease, cancer, and other health problems. 
not good for pregnant women to be breathing this crap. It's not good for older people. It's not good for children. No one should have to breathe one single day of contaminated air, let alone 57, which is what you had to do last year living here in Pittsburgh. And I have, uh, it's industry. The capitalists are killing us, okay? They're killing us. I, and, and we, it's unbelievable. You can go nuts about like uh, lead in the water, which is a huge problem too, but that again, capitalists killing us. And not having to answer, for, oh, I hear they levied a big fine on U.S. Steel or this one or that one, some fracking company. No problem. Doesn't stop it. And I have little doubt, I mean, absolutely no doubt, that um, moving here to Pittsburgh uh, is why I developed chronic respiratory condition um, that has at times been scary. Um, and I have little doubt I never had any issues with my lungs before I came here. And it took just about 15 years breathing the wonderful air here and bang -o. My lungs are damaged. I take three different medications. So, there's that. I think... Um, Okay, I think that's it. I, I, I'm really sorry. I feel like I've been particularly. Oops, I'm sorry. That was me actually making a phone call. I mean, not, I wasn't making a phone call. I swear to God, I was not. But I, I, I was doing something stupid because I sometimes forget. I just want to say one thing. Here's another good quote I saw. It reminds me of that. Uh, what is that? A pogo quote? from the uh, old uh, that old comic strip we have met the enemy and he is us that's not it is it but um this is a quote and i'm not sure who said it and i'm sorry about that but it has to do with the facebook uh hearing yesterday and and what facebook has done to us but on the other hand we've been quite willing to give ourselves over to people who, and we've been quite willing to just give these tech companies all this information about us so that they can pick our pockets and figure out different ways to pick them even more and then go after our children and, you know, all of that. We're, it's us. It's us. Here's the quote. The problem with Facebook is us.
we have been weaponized against ourselves. Our personal data, our insecurities, our tribal tendencies, our fears. This is what Facebook traffics in. And it's bringing us down. We have become twitchy, social media addicts, ready to melt down or explode with the slightest provocation. That's right. And Facebook will keep and its algorithms will keep those provocations coming. Because the provocations with each provocation and each time they grab your eyes. They're making money. They're making little girls get anorexia. It's vile. It's vile. And in as much as we are totally complicit, it's hard to have much sympathy. As I said, Ted Kaczynski starting to look like uh, he had the right idea. He didn't have the right idea of killing other people, but he had the right idea of unplugging and moving away and not being party to this. Okay, that's it. I'm going to go put my head in the oven. Bye. See you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.